This is Jeff Standridge, and this is the Innovation Junkies Podcast. If you want to drastically improve your business, learn proven growth strategies, and generate sustained results for your organization, you've come to the right place. Over the next half hour, we're going to be sharing specific strategies, tactics, and tips that you can use to grow your business, no matter the size, no matter the industry, and no matter the geography. We'll be talking about everything from sales and marketing to organizational, operational, and leadership effectiveness to innovation, digital transformation, and everything in between. Weekly, we'll bring in a top mover and shaker, someone who's done something unbelievable with his or her business, and we'll dig deep. We'll uncover the specific strategies, tactics, and tools they've used to help you achieve your business goals. Welcome to the Innovation Junkies Podcast. Hey guys, if you're looking to put your business on the fast track to achieving sustained strategic growth, this episode is sponsored by the team at Innovation Junkie. To learn more about our strategic growth diagnostic, go to innovationjunkie.com slash diagnostic. Now let's get on with the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Innovation Junkie podcast. I'm Jeff Standridge. And this is Jeff Amarine. And we're the Jeffs. <laughs> I think they might have figured that out. Yeah, I guess you're right. Probably so. Um, all right, so we are excited to have you with us today. We've got a great, a great episode and a fantastic guest. Well, Jeff, why don't you do the honors? Absolutely. So we're really fortunate, and pleased to have a good friend, colleague, a great member of the uh, innovation ecosystem in Northwest Arkansas here today, Angela Grayson. She is an accomplished uh, intellectual property attorney, speaker, and author. And she's the founder of Precipice IP. Precipice helps entrepreneurs and technology-focused businesses protect their products, their brands, their designs, and data. Prior to founding Precipice, Angela was the Associate General Counsel, Intellectual Property and Patent Operations Lead at Walmart Stores Incorporated. Before joining Walmart, she served as an in-house patent counsel for several multinational companies. Uh, Just a wonderful person. She's been a significant ad to the uh, innovation entrepreneurial ecosystem in Northwest Arkansas. So pleased to have Angela on with us today. Hi guys. Hey, welcome. Thank you. Glad to and, have you uh, with us. To have my book. Oh, wow. Oh, now that's some product placement right there. Uh, <laughs> checks on the way, checks in the mail. <laughs> Oh, it is so great to have you with us, Angela, and, and uh, even the, the work you're doing up in Northwest Arkansas. We've had the pleasure of, of uh, having you help us here in Central Arkansas as well and across the state. So thanks for taking some time to be with us on the Innovation Junkies podcast. I love it. Love to be here. We like to start um, by maybe being not so serious, and, and we like to have a random musing at the start of each of our uh, podcasts, and uh, when we remember to do it. Jeff's in my age, sometimes that's a challenge to remember to do it, but um, today we're going to be talking about our favorite personal pastimes. You want to go first? <laughs> you want me to? Please. Okay. Yeah, please. Take the pressure off. I have quite a few uh, I have quite a few hobbies, I have to say. Uh, everybody knows my love, my my newly discovered love of chickens. So I've got a small flock of uh, of chickens. Um, I'm just completely amazed that these ladies give me breakfast. I mean, I, every time I go and harvest my, gather my eggs, I'm like, wow, this is so cool. 
But probably my favorite pastime is gardening. Okay. Sure. I, when you when you said everyone knows of your favorite pastime, I thought you were going to say bees. Well, that's a new that's a new pastime. I, again, I have so many sailing bees. Uh, being in Northwest Arkansas, I can do all of those things with with great ease. Um, but that's absolutely true. And I think for me, I, all of the things that I love to do, kind of when I'm not practicing law, is really science in action. So sailing is all about physics. The mm -hmm. the chicken is chemistry to me. Uh, the bees, you know, the gardening, all of this is like a science experiment in real life. So I just get so excited um, about my hobbies. But that's just me. I'm I'm a nerd for sure. Very cool. How about you, Jeff? <laughs> You're gonna put it on me. Favorite pastime? Wow. You you know, similar kind of thing. Recently, we've kind of grown a little bit of a, a herd or a flock of uh, pygmy goats and sheep, actually. And so recently I found a lot of peace and, and uh, I don't know, it's just cool to be able to stand out in the back and, and look on the downslope part of our property and seeing, seeing them out there do what, doing what they do. So that's been kind of fun. But I would say in general, I, I love trail running. I, re I really like getting out on the trails and I don't get to do it near enough, but that's, uh, that's where it clears my head and I have a lot of, uh, of clarity of, of thought and, and really find peace in doing that as well. I was a little worried about Jeff. I, I called him the other day and I asked him if the goat farming was going okay. And he said, nah. <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite pastime is dad jokes, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You know, my, we have a Slack I, channel just for him for dad. There years. you go. That's all right. Uh, so I have a couple. Um, my individual favorite pastime, individual and group, is is cycling, which is just a new pastime here that I picked up in the last two or three years. And so I really, really enjoy being on my bike and uh, uh, getting up early on a Saturday morning and doing a long ride with a couple of three friends and and uh, watching the sun come up. And and uh, that's 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 a great pastime. Uh, the other one is uh, family time, just hanging out with my family at the lake usually and, um, you know, on a pontoon or just there in the in the house uh, on an ATV doing whatever. But recently I've kind of gotten into, I call it farming, right? Um, it's really farming for wildlife. Uh, we, we consume uh, quite a bit of wildlife during the year, mostly venison. And so I have a farm of uh, that I've begun uh, farming it for deer and turkey. So I spent, got a little tractor therapy uh, a couple of weekends ago, hopefully get a little tractor therapy tomorrow. And so uh, mm -hmm. I, kind of similar to you, Angela, most of my pastimes are outdoors as well. So. And this is a place that you can do it, which is so amazing. Yeah. So let's, let's shift gears maybe and talk about, uh, talk about innovation. So uh, Angela, tell us a little bit about, about your backstory, and, and we, we got a little bit of it in the bio, but uh, how you decided to get into the space of intellectual property protection really for newer and, and startup firms and, and newer innovations. I know you did some work with Walmart and, and larger enterprise, but you, how did you choose to decide to go out on your own and work in this space? So great question. So I have been um, in larger multinational corporations most of my career. I started out at the Patent and Trademark Office as a patent examiner years ago. And my first attorney job was actually at a pharmaceutical company uh, 
drafting patent applications and counseling uh, research and development uh, scientists uh, in the drug discovery space. And from that first job all the way to uh, my time at Walmart, and I've enjoyed that a lot. Um, I've had amazing opportunities to be a part of some very large uh, deals throughout the years for different companies. Um, and uh, it, it definitely is satisfying. I always told my my VPs whenever I would change jobs, you know, I want to make sure I'm not sitting at the kitty table when, you know, when I come to your, when I come to your company. Um, but a lot of what drives large companies uh, is run and maintain innovation. Many large companies are really not looking to uh, get involved uh, with disruptive uh, technology. They're really looking for figuring out what their customers want and making improvements in, in incremental, uh, mm -hmm. incremental advancements. And while that's well and good, um, I just, you know, I just wanted to do something different. I wanted to be a part of more of a disruptive ecosystem. I wanted to help counsel uh, businesses where the intellectual property was really a central uh, and, and keystone um, to the organization. And it's very satisfying knowing that you're helping a company build something um, hopefully great. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's really the reason it, it was just time to shift into a different mindset. And so most of your clients today make up, give, give us an idea, you don't have to call names unless you're comfortable doing that, but in terms of the types of companies that you find yourself working with most. Um, it's probably, a, this is actually something I absolutely love. It, there's really not a um, kind of a majority. I end up working with a number of medical device companies. Mm -hmm. I work with some uh, CPG companies. I work with some services organizations. I have some federal work as well um, uh, in the uh, in the space uh, area. So I, I personally love the fact that I have such a diverse mix of projects. Um, and there's also a nice uh, brand component to some of that work as well. So it's not just patent related. It's also trademark work as well so it it's sort of across the board but maybe primarily in uh the pharma space uh, the medical device space i'm working on a, a software related innovation right now so it it's kind of in those buckets so let's take that software innovation um so we have a lot of tech folks that we work with and that we uh, uh uh, have as listeners, how, how do you advise a, a, a software developer in the forms of intellectual property protection that they need to pursue based upon whatever it is that they've developed? Well, you know, you, what you want to do is kind of look at what they've developed with a really broad stroke. Um, I don't necessarily advocate only focusing on patents. And usually mm -hmm. when people think about intellectual property, that's the first thing they think about. Um, you don't necessarily need patents to have a successful, strong business, but there may be some instances where you do uh, need that. In particular, if you're looking to um, obtain investors or if you're looking to sell your company, um, you know, in those instances, looking sort of down the road, it does become important to think about patents. 
But I think with any software related enterprise, what you want to look at is kind of what are the innovative elements of what you're doing? Sometimes um, the system is what's innovative. Uh, sometimes it's the user interface that's what's innovative. Mm. So, you know, you, you kind of really want to get at what is what is special about this and figuring out if there's a way to protect that competitive advantage uh, with regard to that special aspect of the innovation. The software yes, space right now. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. No, I was just going to say as a, as a follow up, forgive me for that, but as a follow up. How often do you do you feel like there is a trade off between maybe protecting the source code as a trade secret, maybe copyright protection versus patenting because of some of the issues associated with filing patents when you do software? What are your thoughts around that? Those trade offs? Well, the the biggest, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I I like to sort of press my my clients around, you know, thinking about that in terms of the system. Um, unfortunately, there's an, there's an issue around patent eligibility when it comes to certain software type innovations and you want to have a software claim. It's always nice to also think about what the system is. What are the hardware and software components that make this work? Um, and, and innovation can be protected any number of ways, you know, just because you've invented something doesn't mean you only have to look at it through one lens. Generally, there are multiple levels of innovation or multiple types of innovation. And quite frankly, the law is really unsettled when it comes to software innovation. So reframing the innovation in terms of, um, you know, patent subject matter that the USPTO responds to in a favorable way is good. And by the way, uh, you know, protecting code and pursuing a patent uh, are not mutually exclusive things. You can actually do both, uh, but sure. you want to make that you're doing uh, that you're sort of protecting the innovation in the right way. That's not going to cost you an arm and a leg because the office is is resistant to that approach. That's really kind of the art and science of it all. Gotcha. No, that's great. Yeah. So you. Um... You work with a number of companies, and, and we do as well, a lot of mid-sized companies. Uh, how would you advise a, a senior executive of a mid-sized company to really, uh, maybe they have a new innovation. They're not really sure whether it's patentable or not. It could be a, a new device or a new product or a new process or what have you. How would you advise them in terms of uh, the kinds of things they need to be looking for relative to their to their disruptive innovation or what they think is a disruptive innovation, the things they need to be looking for in terms of, of protecting that IP. Maybe probably outside the, the software realm. Yeah, sure. So probably um, figuring out kind of what's important to your customer. Hmm. Um, you know, when I've worked in house, one, one of the companies I worked with, their innovation was really driven by what customers were asking for because they were uh, an OEM. And so the customer will tell you what they want, um, right? I, I need a formulation that solves this problem. So you want to think about, okay, you've got the problem solved, but what are some of the other ways that this innovation can be used? What are some of the other applications to this formulation? 
So it, it's like, you know, you want to take the central core of why you have this innovation and think about some of the other applications. And in terms of sort of the cost benefit, and I think it's important, you know, a lot of times larger companies don't necessarily do this as much as small and mid-sized companies should do this. But I do think it's always important to think about sort of the cost benefit. Because if we're talking about establishing a patent portfolio, okay, checking the box that whatever the innovation is, is important to your customers is good. Checking the box about sort of how can this innovation um, respond to an, ex an extension in a product line. So those are the different applications I was talking about. FlexSeal is a great example of you have a formulation that can be used as uh, a spray, it can be used as a tape, it can be used as, you know, all sorts of things. But there's also the, the cost benefit of, you know, these are legal expenses and legal costs. Mm -hmm. If you're going to pursue, for example, filing patents. Um, and in particular, when you file intellectual property outside the United States, you know, you may even double or triple your costs. Because in some countries, you've got to pay maintenance fees for your application just to pend. You've got to pay two sets of attorney's fees um, and on and on and on. So I think that's probably the way I would kind of steer uh, the client, understanding what's important to the customer, what sorts of product line extensions might you be looking at, and what's the cost benefit of incurring the cost to protect the innovation. Hey folks, we'll be right back with the episode, but first we want to tell you about a limited opportunity to take advantage of our strategic growth diagnostic. For a short time only, we're offering a free strategy call to see whether or not our unique diagnostic tool is right for you. Go to innovationjunkie.com backslash diagnostic to learn more. You know, when you, when you think about, again, without naming names, because obviously you, you can't do that, but when you think about seeing uh, client companies that are doing innovation particularly well, what are some common elements that lead the clients to, to excel at that, to be very innovative, but not just innovative for the sake of creating a patent portfolio, but really moving things to market efficiently? What do you think some common tenets of that are? I think these days, probably the biggest thing is partnering with the right company. Um, people are always looking to reach across demographic, um, you know, people are always looking to go into new markets. And sometimes going into a new market doesn't necessarily mean that you need to develop something that's totally brand new. It might mean you want to introduce your product to a whole new different country or a whole new different um, uh, category. So I personally have seen where companies are really doing well by reaching out and partnering with the right uh, company to bring products and services, you know, to market. Open innovation is it right now. I remember maybe, you know, 10 or so years ago, um, open innovation wasn't as widely accepted as it is now. And, and it's really just about finding strategic alliances, finding strategic partnerships um, to really open up another market or open up another category uh, for your for your product or service. So, you know, it's always interesting. Um, you really do not need to necessarily spend a ton of money on, you know, new product development, although a lot of companies do, right? There's always the what's next, what's next mentality. 
but sometimes it really is as simple as collaborating with the right with the right um, with the right company or the right individual. So if we um, maybe take a moment and go back to, to square one, we talked a little bit about you. T tell us a little more about your practice. And, and the reason I say uh, your practice in Precipice IP, you know, you're very transparent in terms of what the costs are for folks to engage with you on certain elements of intellectual property protection. So let's go back there and, and talk about your specific practice and, and the way that you work with folks. You know, one of the nice things about being an entrepreneur is that you can uh, shift your focus every year if you want. Uh, some <laughs> years I decide that I want to do more patent work, more maybe more drafting. Some years I decide, you know, I really want to do more opinion work. Um, some years I may decide I want to do more trademark work. But one of the things I absolutely love is the fact that I like to think of myself as um, it takes one to know one because I'm an entrepreneur just like the clients that I serve. So I always want to make sure that the client is getting the best value for their buck. And this is a little bit different than an hourly billing model. Mm -hmm. uh, my clients have access to me. Once I'm their attorney, they can reach out to me for you know any questions they may have. Hey, I'm going through this. Uh, I'm thinking about going through this deal. Uh, what advice do you have? Some of my clients um, have also asked me to be an advisor on their on their board, so they absolutely have access to me. So my my practice is really one of trying to transcend to more of a chief technology counsel for the company, hmm. not necessarily as much transactional. I want my my clients to understand that I'm really a partner with them. I'm a little bit like the auntie, you know, I want to make sure that <laughs> that they have the best representation so that they can can absolutely have the best outcome. Now, don't get me wrong, you know. So so that's the business aspect of what I do, but I absolutely love the strategy that goes in the brief writing. I absolutely love the strategy that goes into negotiating with the patent office. And I feel like I get to sit in both worlds. I get to sit in the world of an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. Figuring out how to, um, you know, structure my communications. What, you know, what what should our messaging be this month? What, you know, looking at the data and figuring out, okay, what was my mix of work last year? How is that going to change this year? But then there's also the pouring through the new trademark rules that are about to publish. Um, I'm very active in some of the legal bar associations and, and doing advocacy work uh, through that. I also really enjoy um, kind of supporting the investor community and using all the years of experience that I've had in-house doing diligence on, on deals where uh, huge companies were buying, you know, maybe other huge companies or smaller companies. So I, I suppose maybe I'm, I'm taking a, a surreptitious way of answering your question, but I think the joy that I get from what I do is the ability to be flexible, mm -hmm. um, get to wear multiple hats. And, and my hope is that um, trying to create or share where I'm a value counsel versus a transactional relationship is, is kind of how I structure my practice. So let's say that I'm a uh, CEO of a, a growing uh, mid-sized company, and, and I think I have some uh, intellectual property, and I reach out to Auntie Angela. 
Uh, that's a, new, a good new brand, by the way. Uh, Auntie Angela and her handy dandy IP services or something like that. But uh, let's say I reach out to you and 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 talk me through how you how you would progress that first outreach with a client and how they progress through uh, you determining kind of discovering what they need and then and then supplying those services to them. Well, the first thing I'd like to know is um, how did you come about this innovation? Um, you know, there are lots and lots of things that I try to get at. It's it's definitely, you know, on a case by case basis. But one of the most important things to figure out when I work with someone is how did this innovation come about? Um, is this something that you worked with a factory outside the United States on? Is this something that your team primarily worked on? Did you use consultants to do this? Uh, and the reason figuring out kind of that dynamic becomes important is because one of the most important things I try and tell people, and even when I'm helping uh, doing diligence, is figuring out who owns it or who controls the intellectual property. So obviously figuring out kind of what's innovative and then figuring out um, who actually owns it and who actually controls it. And so once you figure that out, because sometimes clients are surprised to know that they actually don't own it and they may not control it. You know, uh, it may seem very basic, but I can't tell you. And in particular, when it comes to a number of consumer product uh, companies that are not necessarily uh, used to some of the rigor that's involved in the IP assignment language and agreements, in particular, if you're using a contract manufacturer. So that's definitely one of the first things we have to talk about, because if you're using consultants, when it comes to certain types of technology, you may or may not own it based on the language that you have. If you've outsourced some intellectual property, uh, in particular, if you've got an invention, you may or may not own it depending on what the language is or if there is no language. And if, if you've done some collaboration work and there is no agreement in place, you may not even own the patentable innovation. So those are some of the things. And, you know, this is uh, I, I try to make intellectual property straightforward. But the reality is, is that it's pretty layered and nuanced. So we try to peel back those layers by sort of asking questions. But one of the first things we really have to ascertain is with the innovation, do you actually own it or do you control it? And if the answer is no, then that's the first step in trying to make sure that you either get some ownership or you get some control because there's really nothing we can do if you don't own it, you don't control it. You know, as a, as a follow-up to that, and sometimes this can be nuanced within an organization, how much time do you have to spend advising clients on what defines inventorship versus not? I mean, that a, a good litigator can sometimes use that as a lever to invalidate a patent if there's go into that a little bit let, don't let me steal your thunder because you're the expert but talk about that a little bit because i think that's something that not everyone understands what constitutes inventorship and right to be listed on the patent yeah and i think there's a lot of confusion in particular if you come from the scientific community because in the scientific community the standard for getting someone's name on a paper is very different than the standard um, of, of who should be listed as an inventor 
sometimes too, I find in the startup world, uh, someone may be the CEO of a company and they just assume that they should be listed on the, uh, you know, as an inventor on a patent application. Um, so people sort of come at it from different assumptions, but it's really about, uh, you know, who is the person uh, who originated the conception uh, uh, of the innovation. And again, um, that can, you know, be, it can be different, right, than someone who may be doing experiments in the lab because they've taken the conception and they're proving it out. Well, the person who's proving it out may not necessarily be the inventor. And so going kind of that exercise uh, can, it can be challenging, not just from a startup's perspective, but also in large companies. The other thing that I find is, as well is people do not appreciate how important it is to get agreements in place with their innovative team. Um, and notice using the word innovation versus invention, because it's not clear whether or not something is an invention or not until you really kind of take a full on disclosure. But if someone's created an innovation, if they created some new technology um, and, and you've not, you know, bothered to reduce that relationship to writing in a way that transfers the ownership of that intellectual property to you. And by the way, people come and go all the time uh, when it comes to some of these startups. I, I, I like to joke that, you know, sometimes people will come to me, hey, can you help us file this trademark application? By the time the trademark registers, they're not even talking to each other anymore. Or by the time the, the patent application uh, issues, they're not even talking anymore. The other thing too, is that when it comes to inventorship, uh, it is on a claim by claim basis. It's not necessarily based on, you know, the paragraphs of information in, uh, in your patent application. It really depends on what's in the claims. And so inventorship can change if the claims change, um, but that is really kind of where you look to inventorship. And, you know, I, I don't have to say to my small business uh, clients, you know, it's a legal determination. But when I was in-house, uh, I'd occasionally have to pull the, on the lawyer card. And this is kind of, <laughs> this is a legal determination. So even though you might be in charge of the lab, you're actually not an inventor. So um, I don't know if that answers that question or yeah. leads to thinking of, it, but yeah. It, it, it does. And, 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 you know, in the seven years that I, that I worked at the U of A and, and was involved somewhat with the, the IP portfolio there, we had to go through things like inventorship all the time because there was also this uh, hierarchy of, of power where someone that's a lab manager or department head, they would understand a lot about peer reviewed publications. And just like you say, they would assume that they should be listed as an inventor, but it's like point to the claims that you you were involved in creating. And it's like, well, I didn't do that, but I had a hand in the original idea. Well, okay, which of, which of those claims came from the original idea? But it's just, it's a nuance that I, that I don't think a lot of people understand. I appreciate your explanation was very clear. And it's something that I think any senior leader of an organization of any size, if they think about the assets they potentially have in intellectual capital, they need to have good counsel to make sure that they handle it right. Because as you were saying, they don't have an invention assignments agreement and software developers create 
something, they may have a disputed claim against whether or not they actually own that if they didn't have those agreements in place. Well, so it's, partic particularly, I would think that's a problem in states like Arkansas, where employment contracts are not generally the norm, right? Because it's it's uh, there, you know there's generally a, a, an employee handbook that that governs uh, all of your employees versus individual employment contracts. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting as well, you know, I've also had uh, I, I, I do this uh, thing called Meetup Monday. I encourage pretty much anybody, if they'd like to have a, a chit chat with me about IP, they can sign up and, and we can do a call on a Monday. And, um, you know, I've also had the unfortunate uh, position to tell someone who was an employee at, uh, at, a, at a research institution or university hospital. Uh, this person had invented something and submitted an invention disclosure and was leaving the organization shortly thereafter. And this person had no idea that uh, going through that process in conjunction with the policy, the uh, the employment policy, that she had effectively signed her intellectual property to that organization. Mm -hmm. And so it goes both ways. I think people who are in uh, who are working for companies and in particular universities, university hospitals, um, you, you, you need to understand, you know, when you submit an invention disclosure, um, you're, you know, pro probably assigning your intellectual property right then and there. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, you can assign, and this was very interesting in this instance, because at the end of the disclosure was an assignment form. And this person didn't realize um, that they were essentially assigning uh, their intellectual property right then and there. So people really have to read. Mm -hmm. And um, if, if there is ever a question, you should absolutely make sure that you connect with your uh, company or the legal department in your company or get yourself an outside attorney to look at um, kind of what you're signing, but you do need to have some awareness of what you're signing and what you're signing away. So Angela, let's say we have, uh, I, I keep wanting to say Auntie Angela now, I think I'm going to call you that forever. <laughs> Auntie Angela. Uh, let's say we have a, an entrepreneur uh, or a, a, a company executive who wants to connect with you for Meetup Monday or reach out to you individually. Where, where do they best find you? Uh, I've tried to make it super easy by going to our website, uh, precipiceip.com. And uh, there's an integration on the website for them to schedule a meeting right then and there. Um, so again, you know, my meetups are on Mondays just because I'm a, a boutique and I can't have meetups all week long. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to, to focus them on Mondays. And usually, you know, we do go over the 15 minutes. But what's really fun is that I have been doing this so long. It takes me two seconds to figure out what's going on and sort of give people a little bit of, of guidance. And, you know, people are like, oh, you know, should I send? No, please don't send me your stuff. I don't want to see your data. We don't have a relationship yet. I promise you I can get the gist of what's going on just with the just with the call. So a lot can someone said, wow, this is the most I've ever used 15 minutes for. I mean, this is like the best 15 minutes I've ever spent in my life. <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, how about uh, Jeff, unless you have anything else, I'll uh, ask one final question. Go ahead. How about a leave, nugget? leave all leave all of our listeners with the best nugget that Angela Grayson has uh, in the world of IP? What would what would you leave them with? 
the most important thing, and there are many, uh, again, open innovation is really how business gets done. If you are going to collaborate with someone, make sure you think about having pending intellectual property before you do a deal. Your pending IP does not always have to be a patent application. Maybe it's a trademark application. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a copyright application. But depending on what you're doing with this third party, please don't reach out to someone and do a deal without having pending intellectual property at a minimum first. Got it. Very good, Angela. Always a pleasure to talk with you and, and to, to uh, uh, get on the phone or on a Zoom. So we appreciate you for, for carving out some time with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It was great. All right, guys, that's been another episode of the Innovation Junkies podcast with Angela Grayson, CEO of Precipice IP. Hey, listeners, this is Jeff Amrine. We want to thank you for tuning in. We sincerely appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the Innovation Junkies podcast, please do us a huge favor. Click the subscribe button right now and leave us a review. It would mean the world to both of us. And don't forget to share us on social media.